Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! the goalie with your host peter bradbury with special guest host uh mr solent joe scutts evening scutsy evening i'm lotus how you put emphasis on the word special there i don't know what you're trying to imply uh, i will let you decide on that term um this edition we are going to take a little reminder uh, the best Stanley Cups from the years 2000 to 2009 and then we are going to go from 2010 to recent times and then we will also have a look at the best one from the 90s only because today would be the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs so that is literally the only reason <laughs> Uh, well, that and the fact there's there's sod all hockey on at the moment. Um, yeah, you're rather limited to either just playing NHL 20 or watching old clips of it. And I think I've done both in the last few days. And and the fact that I have currently paused a game of NHL 20 as we're talking. Uh, and I am trailing three goals to one in the Czech League. Which kind of tells me... And tells everyone how bored I really must be. I think we're all at that stage, really. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so we will go to the first topic. Um, oh, sorry. Let's go from the year 2000 to 2009. So okay. the best Stanley Cup final. So... As you're the guest, I will let you go first. As it gives me a chance to get my notes, which are thrown across the thing. Which have been launched across the room. Oh, yeah. So, 2000s, I was basically when I first started watching hockey, so I probably haven't picked the one that is the best series that everyone else will find. It's still a good series, but it's probably the one that means the most to me, because it's the first one I properly remember sitting down and watching. And that's 2004 Tampa Bay 4, Calgary 3. It's the first series I remember watching, and it's one of those ones where when you look down at the stats, again, me being massive stats nerd, it's something I love. The fact that the lead flip-flops so many times, the only time Tampa led in the series was Game 7. Calgary always was always 1-0 Calgary, 2-1 Calgary, 3-2 Calgary. And they always seem to be able to win in the forum. So it's just one of those weird quirks that Calgary would always seem to win in Tampa and Tampa always seem to win in Calgary. But plus, if you look down both the rosters for those two teams, like you look, what was it, 16 years later now, and there is a lot of people on both those teams that went on to be serious players. Mm. 
And I think I saw you posted the other week of like, name your favourite player from each team. And it was when you said Mika Kiprasov, yeah. the Caribbean Flames, was when it first like leapt out to me. So I've, I'm, I'm, I'm cheating here. I have got... He can have notes. I, 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 I don't discriminate. But, so if you just go down the list of like, Flames players in that series, you had Jerome McGinley, arguably one of the greatest wingers of that era. Mm-hmm. Mika Kiprasov, again, arguably one of the greatest goalies. You've got people like Andrew Ference went on to have a decent career. Mike Commodore had a decent career. You've got the absolute murderer that was Chris Simon. <laughs> <laughs> when I said I was a team, it's like Calgary got there just through sheer grit and determination and had to beat everybody into submission. The Lightning got there for a lot of skilled young talent and some old guard. So when you had Dave Andrzejczyk's last go-around at age 40 was mm. one of the big things. You've got, <laughs> so look, again, just looking down the list of the roster, you've got Dan Boyle was on there. Boyle went on to play, in, what, another decade with yeah. the Sharks and stuff like that? Mm. You've got players like Ruslan Fedotenko was on that team. Vincent Lecavier, Brad Richards, Martin Saint-Louis. And again, going down your list of goalies and obviously the name of the show... Nikolai Habibulin was in goal for the Lightning that series. The Bulin War. was a war. Yeah. yeah. That was the series that gave him the name, really, was the 04 series. <laughs> but again, it's, it's one of those things where you look down it game by game, and when you get to game five and six, game five, Calgary go into Tampa and win in overtime. So to take the chance of game six, you just have to win at home in the Saddledome in the Sea of Red. And you blow it in double overtime to a Martin San Luis game winner. And I think that was the one that sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. You take a game six at home and you lose double overtime. That just breaks teams. Especially when you know you've now got to travel all the way back down to Florida to mm. try and win a game seven. So it's probably not the best series from that era, but it's the one that means the most, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm I'm just trying to remember. I don't no, it was a it was a different one. I think it was when it was the I think when it was Carolina that won it. Because I was that watching was one the second one on my list. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was I was watching um TSN's top ten controversies. And it was one of I think it was the game where the home was it the Flames? Or was it the the oil? Uh, it was no, the oil. oilers. So, so this, that was the second one on my list because it was the first one after the lockout. Mm. So when Lightning 04, 05 was lockout, 06 was uh, Kane's four, Oilers yeah. three, and that one I always remember because <clears throat> the starting point for the series, game one in Carolina, was a tie game with thirty seconds to go, mm. and Ty Conklin comes out from the back of the net to play the puck. Yeah. And basically just passes it straight to Rob Brindamore, who just goes, all right. Thank you. Doink. Game one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. It, it seems to be a case of, it's almost like a, a, not so much a curse, but it seems any Canadian team that reaches the Stanley Cup final has these meltdowns at certain yes. games. Because um, you have... As you say, the, the Flames kind of lost it at home in Game 6. You had the Oilers with that incident. Mm. And then when you moved to, I think it was 2011, when it was the Bruins and the Canucks. Mm. 
Mm. Everyone kind of expected. It's in Vancouver against the Bruins. Vancouver been brilliant at home. They should kind of take the Stanley Cup. And of course, they didn't. And of course, the city survived a second riot. Which is the three things you know you're going to get when a Vancouver team plays in the Stanley Cup. Deaths, taxis and riots. And choking. <laughs> and that. But to be fair to Vancouver when they do it, it is spectacular. <clears throat> it has to be... It has to be said. I believe the phrase from Toy Story is, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it with style. Oh, yes. And they definitely do it with style. Um, so what is your one then, Peter? My choice is the year before the 2003 Stanley Cup between the New Jersey Devils and the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Of Anaheim. Before you get into it, is that the one where Korea got absolutely destroyed? By it is indeed. That's the only thing I remember. Serious. <laughs> um, it was. I think it was really for me the first. No, it was more the second time the first I really got into. One. Yeah, um, the the first one I recall was Detroit and Carolina two thousand and two, so the year previous. Uh, just due to the fact, kind of, I didn't even know where NHL was on British TV at the time. Because it, it kind of went in 97 till about 2000, and then it went off telly. And then it seemed to kind of mix with like the, the major league baseball on Channel 5. So it always used to be like uh, ice hockey on a Sunday. Baseball on the Wednesday, then it seemed to kind of like to and fro until I think the baseball season finished and then hockey took over. Um, but the thing I remember about the 2002 one with uh, the Canes and the, the Red Wings, um, which isn't the main one, but I seem to recall going to the Speedway in Cardiff because um, I think it was game three. Could have been game four in Carolina. Uh, and I think the game started at like midnight. Mm. And by the time we had arrived back in Manchester, uh, it was still going on. It was sort of like the third overtime period. And I, I, I do find there's a lot of series where you look at it and the ones you remember most are the games that go or have a game in that series. Yeah. When overtime, double overtime, triple mm. overtime, something big happened. Yeah. I think, I think for me, as it seems to be, it makes a series when you have at least one overtime game. Yes. Um, but as I said, the the two thousand and three one was the main one I recall really, kind of like watching and getting into the most. Um, because I think it was the year where every home team seemed to either win or lose kind of like the games I think it was every no every home team seemed to win or was that the 2010 no I'm confusing myself now about. 2003 was the year every away team won yeah 
2003 was the year every away team won. 2010, which I'll come back to. Sorry for the spoiler. Um, <laughs> that was the year that every team seemed to win at home. Um, but I think the main sort of key moment from that series was obviously Scott Stevens. I don't know how. So he, I, I how it is the other way around. 03 is every home team won. Ten is every away team. Yeah. Um, but it's the, the case of how would you how would you describe Stevens' hit on Paul Correa? It's. I'd, I would say it's probably one of the most famous hockey clips of well all time. Yeah. Arguably. Um, if you ask me to describe it, I'd basically say Correa picks the puck up center ice mm. and takes basically as he enters, crosses the blue line enters the zone he tries to cut right because mm. he knows Stevens is coming from that hand side Yeah, but the way he cuts he almost seems to lean too much onto his side and basically just is elbow height for Scott Stevens mm. and he completely destroyed him because mm. it's the... I mean, it's the most the most famous bit of that isn't the hit itself I think it's the bit after it where yeah. the camera zooms in on Korea's lifeless body and you see the gasp yeah. as he wakes up. Mm. That's the bit that everyone gets. Because it's, as I say, watching the like the, the TSN top ten moments, um, I think it was number, it's ranked number two, the the following, mm. when Korea comes back and scores. That's the thing. I, like, I don't look- think it's the winning goal, but I think it's... One of the goals. I think it's three one when he scores. Yeah, I don't think it's classed as the game winner. It, it, it is one before. So obviously, you see all of that happen. You see Stephen mm. get blown up, and you see Korea clearly knocked out. Yeah, that was I want to say first period, and then the second period he has this triumphant running him back out onto the ice, and as you say, scores a goal during the game. Mm. Looking back on that, seventeen years later, and knowing what. Me and you both know about concussions and the effect yeah. they have on players. What do you think about it now? When I was watching it the other day, I'm thinking if that was now, he would not have returned. And it kind of it made me. When you see how violent the hit was, I I, I still remember watching it and thinking, "No, oh, I see season done. He's he's not." He's not going to yeah. play in another and, game. And then 45 minutes later, and then kind of, the and I just remember sort of like whizzing the tape on because it was VHS at the time. Hmm. None of this kind of like Sky showing your age there. Plus, I know, um, thirty and thriving. Um, but I just recall whizzing it on, and seeing career out, and I'm thinking, oh, it must be showing like a a replay or something. Yeah. So when I've because he used to do a lot of kind of like chats between like the uh, the ad breaks for like Canadian and American TV, and when he came back out, I'm thinking, no, he can't, he can't. It must be someone that looks like him, or it's someone else. Someone who's just put his shirt on. But at the time, you're thinking. I, I recall when he came back, I'm thinking it'd be great if he came out and scored now, and it'd be even better if it was against Stevens on the ice. As you kind of say, looking back, you see it now, and you're thinking it didn't really help career in 
long term. It didn't because, help. It didn't because, help because he had, Yeah. Because he didn't exactly have. Um, he struggled with. Con- I think he'd struggled with concussions before that as well. But I think that was the main <laughs> thing that kind of triggered. I think probably is like again when you see it, the, it was such a mismatch, and Stevens was always known for hitting people like a freight train. Yeah. And as you say, it's like when something like that happens, that has an effect on you. Mm. Not might not necessarily have an effect immediately with how you play, mm. but I've seen a lot of people, especially in recent years, when they've been given a concussion from something violent and it does affect your play style you you are a lot more tentative going in for ball battles you're mm. definitely a lot more tentative when you're making plays in the defensive zone now yeah. you, you look back at that 17 years later and think what would have happened like I said there's no way Korea gets back in the game there's no way Korea plays any part in the rest of the series mm. and depending on how bad it is he probably doesn't start the next season <clears throat> Yeah. That one probably might be a little reaching a bit too much, but you just look. There'll be some people, and we've both looked at THF. Whenever there's a fight anywhere, mainly the the, the LNAH in Canada, mm. whenever there's a massive fight or a massive hit, it's always yeah, this is what the people want. I think there comes a time when you look at things, and especially how much we've learned in the last even five years about what these guys go through in terms of hits to the head and all that stuff. Every time there's a big hit now, I'm wincing. Yeah. Like there's that initial, Oh yeah, big hit. And then you mm. think, Oh, actually mm, he's not moving. That's not good. Nice. And that's, that's probably the first one that I recognize. I reckon I saw, cause I didn't see it at the time. It was only a few years, a few years ago that I first saw that. Hit. Mm. Then you look at it and you're thinking, that's nah. Yeah. <laughs> that's not good. <clears throat> Because it's, I mean, I, I think one of the first times I, I saw Stevens play was probably two thousand, and he was a heavy, he was a heavy hitter then. But before that, he was always a really physical, maybe slightly borderline dirty with some of the hits. He, was he wasn't a Claude Lemieux, to but throw his weight around. yeah, he he wasn't a Claude Lemieux in the sense of he cheap shotted, but he kind of. He, he skated, so to speak, on a very thin line between borderline dirtiness and clean. He, he always seemed to get there about a third of a second too late. Yeah. <laughs> so, that kind of player. But it's... Another thing that's kind of come into my head thinking about that, if that had been in the 80s, or even maybe the mid-90s, if your star player gets took out like that, you would instantly have the enforcer on your team go for him. So whether it was enforcer against enforcer or someone of that ilk, for me, I think, as you head into the 2000s, I think you almost begin to see kind of the enforcer role starting to kind of decline because in I think in yeah. that instance someone should have at least tried to have a go at Steve. Have a word, yeah. yeah. Even if it I wasn't think... a case of dropping the gloves, just letting him know. I think in some cases when you look at that O three team with the Ducks and they were a bit ahead of their time, they were the first real team to use 
particularly on offense, a lot more speed and skill players. Mm. Korea was really small for a winger yeah. at that age. He was uh, in that era, yeah. which is why he kept getting wiped out by everybody. Mm. If that Ducks team comes around a decade later with yeah. those players, they're the next dynasty because mm. they would have been ahead of the curve. And obviously, back in 03, you still had... Like I said, Scott Stevens, mm. six foot five, running around, throwing his weight around and killing people. Because yeah. it's it's a thing as well. Prior to the lockout, the league was very much kind of like grab and hold and physical. Yeah, after was, uh, the lockout, big beefy boys. Yeah, and they seem to make. To kill people. <laughs> after the lockout, it seemed to be very much a case of we want to move away from that and become more of a skilled, no clutching, mm. no holding. Um. So that that series for me kind of saw almost like the decline of the enforcer role, um, and then seemed to go more, beginning to see more of the skills. Team. I think part of that is obviously, I'm probably giving it a bit too much credit. Is the O2 Olympics because that was when America and Canada Salt Lake both City. didn't win a medal. Yeah, Salt Lake City. I don't mm. think either of them won a medal that year. Hmm. And it went to your teams like your Swedens, your Finlands, your Russians, where they put in a lot of players from their own countries who played more of a skill-based league. It was less about fighting. It was less about physicality. Hmm. Obviously, there was still physicality. Yeah. But a lot more of it was on how good of a puck handler you were, how good of a skater you were. Um, it showed. And I think that was really a wake-up call to the NHL. of like, no, we need to get with the times or get left behind it. Hmm. It, it, it kind of seems a bit like the, the British League in recent times, where every league now seems to be moving away from, as they say, the North American style to mm. become more of a skilled league. Mm. I mean, I, I watch a, a hell of a lot of the German League, and sort of like the last five years or so, you can clearly see where it's gone, kind of North American style. And then they've, a couple of years they had like a hybrid. So it was like still North American, but then European. Mm. And now it's really gone more European. So there's, there's not here, many here, like you say, We're at that hybrid stage yeah. at the moment. It is very quickly becoming a skill. There mm. are still certain players who like to play that, grab and hold. And I think some of that is down to coaching and... I mean, that's one for an entirely different show for us because mm. I could talk about coaching hockey over here and it drives me up the wall in some places. But I think we are getting there. And honestly, this was the series that basically... That and the Tampa Bay series were the first two series that basically was, right, we need to change. Yeah. And then, of course, all the players from the lockout did go play in Europe and mm. probably went, oh, hang on, culture shock. Yeah. I don't need to kill people yet? Well, you say that. I mean, looking back at some of the YouTube videos, you had the London Racers who had a, a few ex-enforcers in their team. So they were still... But as we've said, kind of like the British League's becoming like the back end of the hybrid to more skilled kind of... Mm skill set now uh, but at the time they were still kind of in the 1980s of enforcement to which I think it was almost like a, a race of 
an arms race to try and get the next enforcer from memory, and at least with uh, as it seemed to be with Phoenix when they were in the Elite League, because we were we were we had a couple of seasons where we didn't have a single player and we got bullied, and then we picked up Brett Cloutier from Sheffield, and then all of a sudden we had someone that could drop the gloves if we needed to. And then the final league, and oh, sorry, the final season in the Elite League in 2009, um, we still had Cloutier, but we, we had Kyle Bruce, which was like a smaller version, who really didn't know how small he was, uh, and always seemed to take on the tallest plays in the league. Um, but then I think the Elite League seemed to then carry on that trend. Um, and then slowly it's declining from the enforcement role. But as you said, that's for another show to kind of like discuss that. The goal in hockey is to score a lot of goals. Soccer is played on a field where you score goals. Field goals are what you score in basketball when you go on a run. Runs are what you score in baseball, which is played on a field. Field goals are also scored in football, when you can't score a touchdown, which is the main goal. So, if you score a lot of goals in hockey, you've achieved your goal of scoring a lot of goals. And that's your main goal. Okay, let's hit the showers. Um, so, anyway, you say about moving different eras. Mm. Let's jump ahead. I went first last time, so you can go first on this one. Right. Your favorite series of the 2010s. I'm going to guess... <laughs> It's the 2010 series. <laughs> you, you might be right. Uh, yes, my particular favourite, as I say, might be slightly biased, um, but it's kind of like we we discussed about like the the 90s, as we said off off uh, Mike, being in the sense that it was mostly whitewashes or sweeps and then you had like the odd decent series uh for me at least from 2010 onwards the only series i've really enjoyed watching for two teams that were actually sort of like competitive in every game was the 2010 series involving the chicago blackhawks and the philadelphia flyers so if you kind of look at the I mean the goalies at the time were competitive against each other near enough it was almost like man for man so you had Philadelphia not giving an inch to Chicago Chicago was a very youngish team at the time um, and we're kind of was like was that the first of the that was the first things. of the cups so they kind of Suffered a couple of conference final, semi-final defeats in previous, in the last couple of years. But then they actually got to this one. And it was... I'd probably say the Flyers were more... I think they they were a bit too intense and physical for their own good in the series. I think Um, if I remember rightly on that one... 
again, I think that was one where the Flyers got in as the eight seed in the East yeah. on the last day of the season. Because the... I remember listening to a game against the Rangers, and I think yeah. it was winner went in. Yeah, because I was literally gutted. <laughs> I was watching it because I thought because it went to a shootout. Yeah. Uh, Wasn't it Brad Richards missed the shot for the Rangers? Or something? He, I, I think he was the. I want to say he was the top penalty scorer that season, and he, I think he took one of the worst penalties. Uh, got saved. I just there's certain times in a in a season where you think, or certain moments where you go, you can see them having a run. I think the two moments that season, the standout ones, was obviously. The Flyers beating the Rangers to make the playoffs for them. Yeah, too. That's, that's um, always a big woman now. Yeah. <laughs> and the the one for Chicago was the game against Calgary in, I think it was December or October, the, the year before. Uh, same season. Uh, but they played the Calgary Flames and were something like 4-0 down or 5-0 down at home. And they came back to win 6-5. I think they were four 0 down after the first period, and then they got it to. I think Calgary scored again to make it five 0 and then Chicago scored five unanswered goals, and then it was a, a Seabrook overtime winner that literally sealed a six five win. Of, of all the players, yeah, like Brent Seabrook is not the one. But... Yeah. yeah, who scored the overtime winner for the Blackhawks? Yeah, wrong. Brent Seabrook. <laughs> um. So, but I, I remember at the time watching that thinking, or maybe it's just me kind of, I probably do it with every team, but on that particular game, I just recall thinking, I think Chicago might actually win it this year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just something that'll happen during the season where it turns. I mean, I mean St. Louis last year, rock bottom come January 1st. And then all of a sudden, they're the yeah. Stanley Cup champions. So something kind of clicks or sparks, and kind of can just set them off. Um, but one thing I, I I recall more than anything about that series, well, two things I recall that series was the battle between Dustin Bufflin for the Blackhawks and Chris Pronger of the Flyers. The battles they had in that series. Big boys. What I mean, the hit that Bufflin puts on Pronger. I think it's in game. I think it's in game two or game four. And it's, I you can I can still picture the the boards rattling to this day, because Pronger was throwing his weight around against Kane and everyone, but then it was kind of Bufflin just thought. Yeah, I'm not letting you. I'm not gonna let you kind of like push our team around anymore. Um, and then I think from, I think they had like a, a couple of runnings before it, but then after that hit, that almost seemed to turn the series. I thought in Chicago's favour because hmm. like as much as Pronger was getting knocked about, it's, it's always kind of like competitive, like big hits and everything but after that hit it was almost like Chicago thought oh so he can get pushed around a lot so it was almost like you had the big bully in Pronger Bufflin was kind of like 
the the equaliser. Yeah, the young kid on the block, yeah. then, wasn't he? So, and it busts the fact you had Pronger who's coming towards the end of his career, but he it, it kind of shown how much of a warrior he was in that series as well. Mm. Um, but see, the the other thing that I recall about that series, it was slightly childish <laughs> with with Pronger was. Every time Chicago won a game, Pronger was first to get the puck and hide it so Chicago could not keep the winning puck. From from memory, I think they had an overtime game and he he got the puck and he kept it. And then there was another game where I think it was a one-goal game late on and Pronger immediately skated to the referee and said, give me the puck. And kept seemed to keep him, um, but yeah, it was just kind of little things like that that made the. Uh, I mean, obviously the the winning, the most bizarre way to win a Stanley Cup as well in Game Six in Philadelphia, when Patrick Kane scores the goal and no one has a clue it's gone in. It's gone in, yeah. I remember that one. Because I remember staying up till I think it was like half one in the morning to watch it. Because thankfully it was on the east coast, so when it's on the east coast, it's more manageable to actually watch hockey games. Hmm. So, because um, I just remember sort of like staying up to watch it, and I remember I remember thinking I can't have the sound on because I don't want to wake my parents. Um. So I remember the goal going in, and I'm just thinking, I've not seen a red light come on. Why is Kane jumping around? Why is he celebrating? And then he had to turn the sound up a bit. The commentators didn't know it had gone in. Niemi didn't know it had gone in at the other end. The bench didn't know it had gone in. No one knew what was going on, apart from Kane, who even when he's celebrating has a look on him as if to say, I think it's in. So I'm hoping they're not going to take it off me or I'll look really stupid. Um, and then, of course, it's it's given, but it was definitely the, the most bizarre... Bizarre game-winning goal. Yeah. Cup-winning goal, of, of all Of all Stanley Cup winning goals, I think that's definitely the weirdest one ever. Hmm. Um, so that was my one. So what was yours of the past nine... 10 years so obviously with it being the most recent decade you do tend to lean into recency bias and obviously a lot of people would have loved the Blues winning their first trophy personally I don't know so much for the Blues winning it mm. I loved it for the image of Brad Marchand crying because if you don't love that series for the image of Brad Marchand crying I don't think you're human um, again I came up with a list of about three and like I'm a huge Ovechkin fan, so obviously him winning it in 2018 mm. was a nice one for me. 2010, again, like you said, it's but minus from all for the wrong reasons, because <laughs> every time I look at that series, I think that should have been the Rangers as yeah. a Rangers fan. Likewise, I do not think 2014 ever deserves to be mentioned, because that was rubbish. Yeah. But I went for the series that you mentioned earlier. I went for 2011, Boston 4, <laughs> Vancouver 3. Uh. And again, so... When I wrote my notes out for this one, I went for a similar thing with you. Obviously, 
again, going back to the whole thing of Canadians choking, yeah, and Vancouver in particular, the fact that you can care so much about hockey that your team losing in Game 7 is enough for you to destroy your own city <laughs> yes. is hilarious to me. It's just, you'd never see it over here. And every time you think of Canada, you think of that stereotypical, oh no, they were far too polite to do mm. this. And it's like, no, they've they've genuinely torched everything. They're burning Canucks shirts in the streets. They're doing all this. <laughs> Another reason I put for this is it's the Patrice Bergeron series. Mm. And I, this story, obviously, a lot of people do know it. Some people might not. Bergeron played that entire seven-game series with, I believe it was, a punctured lung, broken ribs, a separated shoulder, was told, don't play, and he played all seven games and scored the winner in game seven. Yeah. If That is the series <laughs> that won that man a C on his chest for life in Boston. Like, if you're... If you don't love Patrice Bergeron for that anyway, for just being a complete warrior and going through all of that to win, lead your team to win a series, I don't know what else a man has to do. And the other reason I like that series, and again, it's me purely being an analytics nerd, seven games, four of them had shutouts. Mm. Rask had two, and I think it was Robbie Wongo had two for the Canucks as well. So the fact it's four shutouts as well, it's two on each team. I dread to think what the save percentages were for most of that series because I know both those goalies when you think of it back 10 years ago now nearly in Rask and Luongo are going to go down as two of the greatest goalies Hmm. in NHL history in my books well I can give you two facts that you you won't like me to to mention Mm -hmm. Um, the Bergeron injuries was the Chicago series the Chicago team. Yeah, he did still play in but that. The, but the, uh, was it not Campbell? I think it might have been because I think he broke his. Did he not break his ankle? Or is that? Or is that the Chicago one as well? There, there was definitely one Boston player that picked up a, a few a nasty injuries. Was saying he got. Yeah, it was a broken rib, punctured lung, a separated shoulder from something. But he played the entire Stanley Cup Finals. Because I've just, I've just been reading it now. Bergeron. I mean, Bergeron's I injuries. Like, so, um, it's hockey players are just a different breed. When you tw- look at it. This is it. Bergeron suffered a torn rib cartilage in Game Four of the final. He suffered a broken rib on his left side in Game Five. A separated shoulder and a punctured lung in game six, to which the puncture eventually caused the lung to collapse, and Bergeron ended up in hospital following game six, spending three days there. So anyone that says hockey players are not tough. Yeah. Yeah. There's the door. Go through yeah. it. And, but... and, the, and the second one I was going to say, uh, it was Tim Thomas... Tim Thomas. Yeah. That's right. It Be- was Thomas. Because I seem to recall afterwards you had the whole Forget what I said about greatest player of all time. <laughs> Tim Thomas is Oh to be one honest, the at the time, the time the views are, are not expressed great. by everyone on this podcast. <laughs> but he Do did choose he did he was the first person that started this whole debate about seeing the president not seeing the president. So, I will just leave that hanging there. 
But apart but from that, I completely agree with you. Any anything apart from the that... what he might be. <laughs> but yeah, anything that can actually resort to bringing a city to its knees yeah. and just you're that angry at a hockey game that you have destroyed right. everything is funny. But it's it's the thing of another thing that was on that TSN memories was it got brought up about the whole thing of the riots taking place in Vancouver. But it said one of the images from the riots was the young couple making out. So you had the riot police. You had people burning cars and then there was kind of like a young couple basically getting... Yeah, let's just get it on. (laughs) Basically getting freaky on Vancouver pavements. (laughs) The best bit I seem to recall about that final because uh, I remember recording it because uh, it was CBC providing the coverage for mm. I can't remember if it was it was probably like Satanta or what, whatever it station was it was yeah um, but I remember as you always get at the end of every Stanley Cup all the families come onto the ice celebrate with the players the thing I remember about that was a bottle being thrown towards Chara's head after he'd lifted the, the cup. So every time I ever see that game and the image of Chara lifting the Stanley Cup, it's always, where's this bottle that nearly hits him? Um, and then after that was kind of like, I think it was an hour after. So you've got all the families on the, on the ice celebrating. And then they do the thing of downtown... Vancouver, Vancouver or down to, and, it, and all, all I've seen flames. to recall it was just flames and like a burning car people jumping on a phone box and like kicking a car window in and then it very quickly left and went back into the arena it's like this is beautiful downtown Vancouver yeah oh, let's go back let's go back because it's like whenever I think it was the Toronto-Boston one the last time. So you basically had, like, sea of blue for Toronto. And then as soon as, like, the winning goal goes in for Boston, it was just like... Sea of empty seats. It's, it's like Wembley whenever you... I mean, the, the one I remember the most is, like, when City beat United in the semi-final of the Cup. As soon as final whistle went, the seats went from red to empty in no time. It was like the master of escapism. Well, well, again, it's like that. That's one, another one of the images from the Blues Bruins series from last year. Was obviously the Blues win it in TD Garden, and again, it's become it's yellow seat night. Yeah, <laughs> you, just, you can just see pockets of Blues fans all around the place. <laughs> just here's empty chairs. But it's for me. I always seem to laugh when it's when the away team wins. Because it's always you always tell which has the decent fan base of the ones that stay behind. And for me, the the only ones I can remember that stayed around a lot to watch. Pardon, um, was Detroit. San Jose. San Jose did it as well a few years mm. ago. But then I believe that's because San Jose had never actually seen the Stanley Cup before and didn't know it was real. 
other than when it was like an all-star game. It was like, get your picture. <laughs> oh, that's to what it. it looks like. Get a picture. Because <laughs> it's... The, the thing about it as well, with... Um, I mean, the the one I recall the most was Detroit fans staying behind when Pittsburgh won it. Hmm. When it was the other way around, it was like, oh, there's like a lot of yellow seats Ooh, here in Pittsburgh. Cheers. Like, oh, chairs. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm still waiting for one year for a player to lift the Stanley Cup and fall over with it. That's what I'm still waiting to do. Because it it will Just be funny. Oh, please, yeah. ow. Plus, I thought Ovechkin was going to do that when when he lifted it because he seemed to be so pumped up. When he, it was like, I've never seen anyone so. It it kind of remind, reminded me of three hundred, in the way he was celebrating before he even got the hands on. He could have lifted Batman. The adrenaline. If if Batman had been wearing a grey suit, he probably would have thought he was the Stanley Cup. Gone as well. So, um, yeah. So, um, do you want to do the 90s one? Briefly, yes. or? I don't know about you, but this is probably the hardest one. I could only think of two, but I went for one. <laughs> Most of the one, and I'm just looking at it again now, the 90s had five clean sweeps mm. at 4-0. Obviously, those don't make for pretty good. No. Obviously, I think, because you said it might be both, I think I know which one you've gone for. I'll give you a clue. There's there's two that I can think of, and the one that I am going for, and it isn't the 99 Stanley Cup. I'm going to write a note down on my phone. I'm going to put it down afterwards so that you know I'm not cheating. Or you can just basically show me on on screen. I will. Even though this isn't a video podcast, but I can certainly prove you're telling the truth. I can't edit it any further. So the one I pick is 1997, Detroit 4, Philadelphia 0. Mm-hmm. Now, get a feeling this was going to need a lot of explaining. <laughs> so... The reason I put for that one, again, it's not going down this list of, was it the best series statistically, mm. was it the best series for this? It's the one that probably means the most to me. And the reason why for that is, I saw a film a couple of years ago called Red Army, mm. which was about Slava Fetisov and basically his effort and the Red Army team, hockey team, and a lot of history about that. That, obviously as you intended to do, sends you down a YouTube rabbit hole that leads you to finding out about the Russian Five, which is actually a book I have on bookshelf in my room over here. Um, so the reason I think number seven is basically it's the first cup won by the Russian Five. Mm. It is your Larionov, it's your Fatisov, it's... Konstantinov. Um, Konstantinov. Uh, oh, Fedorov. Fedorov. Uh, Fedorov, thank you. But again... It's going down that thing of, you look at that Red Wings roster from that year, you had Osgood and Vernon in goal, you had Slava Fatisov, Nick Lidstrom, Konstantinov, Igor Larionov, uh, you had Kozlov, you had Brendan Shanahan, you had Tosh Sandstrom, you had Sergei Fedorov, and you had the messiah of hockey general managing himself and Steve Eisman. 
or or as Bill Clinton called him, Iserman. Iserman. Which is because I've been watching Bar Down and they they make reference to that comment of Bill Clinton going Steve Iserman because he didn't know how you said his name. But. Yeah, it's, it's arguably not the best series in the world. I mean, it's a 4-0 sweep. The Red Wings outscored them 16-6. Mm. It's the one that means the most to me in the fact that I basically went down a Russian fire route and how could you not like that team? It was the first real team that really bought into Russian hockey players as a whole mm. and opened up the game, really. And... Anything that makes Philadelphia fans cry is brilliant. True. I, I'm, I'm not hateful of 2010 at all. Um, <laughs> no. I hold grudges. I am not afraid to say that. T- to be honest, I think there's many people that don't like the Flyers full stop. We j- kind of... You just have a year that you, you can actually associate. Yes, I could pinpoint it. And I if... could pinpoint it to 2010 and... Gritty. If, <laughs> That's if, if this was The Simpsons, I would literally just kind of say it was at this point that his heart ripped in half. Um, but I, I will, on second thought, I will agree in the sense to um, that series because I think that was the first Stanley Cup final that I had actually saw. Yep, that's the one I'm going for. <laughs> yep. Just uh, for, again, because it's not a visual podcast, <laughs> I had written down 1994 Rangers v Canucks because I know Pete also likes the Rangers. I'm a massive Rangers fan, so I deliberately didn't pick it for that reason. And yeah, it's the only moment of happiness I'll ever get to watch. Mm. And I was, well, I never got to watch it live. I would have been three months at the time. <laughs> well, before I get on to that one, I'll touch briefly on yours. Because I, I don't know if you're young enough to remember NHL Power Week. Nah. Ah, shows how old I am. Uh, there always, always used to be a show on Channel 5, and it always used to be also on Sky, when they used to show the NHL at the time. Called It was like a weekly one-hour show. So... Um, it's like NBA action or whatever it is now I think it's still NBA action where it's kind of highlights of the week or they'll highlight a certain team that week they'll go behind the scenes of something that was literally NHL Power Week the Stanley Cup final that year between Detroit and Philadelphia was mostly around Konstantinov because the I think the '96 final they were involved in a it was a car crash, wasn't it? Oh, I believe so. I'll check. So there was Konstantin. I think Larianov might have been involved, but he escaped. I know there was an incident involving two of them. Konstantinov was basically um, forced to be in a wheelchair. Um, I'm sure it was Larianov. That was the other one. It was one of the other Russians. Um, but because no one knew how bad it was at the time, um, the whole 
that whole season Detroit played with the phrase believe which was on I think the helmets and and on the shirts mm. that season you'll have seen the word believe and it was literally uh, it was Fatiso Fatiso and Constantinov yeah so the um, 97 98 was the year after that oh. was the uh, another Red Wings sweep ironically <laughs> um. so I, I seem to re- recall that season where literally everything was kind of played for them so and it's the only time I can remember the whole league from well how it seemed to me at least where if they won at Detroit everyone seemed to be okay with it due to like the whole thing that surrounded it yeah um so there's certain incidents that take place where if something bad happens and they reach a final, teams seem to kind of gravitate to them for, for yeah, there's that a, there's time. Yeah, there's a lot of cases of that through history. you got that, obviously, it's still raw to some people, but you got the Kobe Bryant hmm. thing from this year. Uh, the 01 Yankees after 9-11 yeah. was obviously a big one that people think, yeah, let them have it hmm. kind of thing. Um, there's cases of it through history. I think you're right on Yeah. So, but from that season, I seem everyone, well, apart from the team they beat, but um, it seemed to be a case of uh, everyone was okay with Detroit actually winning that year. Any other year, it'd be kind of like we don't want them to win it, but because of that, um, they were kind of given a, a pass, so to speak. However, uh, moving to the 90s in my one is obviously my my other team being the New York Rangers because apparently um, you can now have two NHL teams true um, <laughs> though I will explain why I have both teams on, a, on, on, an, on another show um, Long story short, the Rangers were rubbish and the Blackhawks just started winning. <laughs> you could use that term. Bradbury exposed. <laughs> um, no, I was going to get drawn into it. I thought, no, I'll leave it for another show. Um, but yeah, uh, the New York Rangers hadn't won a Stanley Cup since 1940. And for years and years and years, every team, mostly the New York Islanders, who seem to win every Stanley Cup, and when they couldn't be bothered, it was the Edmonton Oilers who'd win it. And when they couldn't be bothered, it was the Montreal Canadiens and so on and so on. Um, However, in 1994, the New York Rangers finally made it to the Stanley Cup final. Um... I'm trying to remember who, who scored the uh, the winning goal against the Devils because I, I don't recall hearing his Just name mentioned. <clears throat> and I and I will say this: I am being sarcastic on this point, but it begins um, with it begins with M. Um. Um. Uh, I thought Jesus, you'd know this. Jesus? Oh, Messiah? No. 
No. Messier. No. <laughs> I thought you would have known this being a Rangers fan. That is it. <laughs> See, who has the last laugh now? It was Stefan Matteau. 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 Yeah. To which it's kind of um, the American version of the the Dutch Burkamp goal in the '98 World Cup against Argentina. Where, where they went on about who scored the winning or who scored for for Holland in this game, and the commentator just goes Burkamp, 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 Burkamp. Literally, the the commentator Pass. just says Meto over and wrap around goal against the New Jersey Devils to see the Rangers in the Stanley Cup final against Pavel Bore's. Vancouver Canucks. Canucks. To which I have Game 7 on DVD. And also have the Oh Baby New York Rangers story from 1994 on DVD. Awesome. Might not necessarily be legal, but I have them on DVD. It's one of these, I'm just looking back at the page which has the complete list of Stanley Cup winners. And it is genuinely shocking, considering the amount of players that come from there, that there hasn't been a Canadian team win the Stanley Cup since 1993. Yeah. Do you know who was the last Canadian team to win it? The Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. I can say that because I'm looking at the page. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I don't like it. They've had enough chances to win it, though. Since then, they've they've had the Flames, the Oilers, the Canucks again several times. Yeah, they've uh, well, the Maple Maple Leafs haven't reached the final in God knows how long. Technically, they they're just the Maple Laughs, aren't they? Well, really, they should have reached the final in I was gonna say '93 and the last few years, Mm. but you know. Which always makes me laugh that my dad was a San Jose fan. And then all of a sudden he's now changed to a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Even worse. So, it's, so I look forward to him cheering the Nashville Predators in about five years' time. Um, so, uh, I know, and this is another thing we spoke of off camera. I don't know if you did it, but I put together a team of the decade for this decade. Mm. Now, if you haven't got one... You can laugh at mine and tell me how I'm wrong. I'd... Fine, fine with that? Yes, because I'm not even... I got distracted by NHL 20 to actually bother to look. <laughs> okay, so I, I will expose myself for being an idiot, and you can tell me why I'm an idiot. Or, so I have... or do you want to leave it till next week and see if Mark can put one together, and then you can argue... We can do that. Just so... I will, obviously, if you're going to do that for next week... Because it'll give I, us another topic. So what topic. I've done is, I've done two lines. Hmm. Because, as you will quickly find when you do that, there is about five goalies you can pick, there is about seven D-men you can make a case for, and then when you start getting into, like, centres and wingers, you quickly realise that there has been next to no left-wingers in the last decade. Yeah. Oh, it, it was a case of me trying to find players from the last decade, and I thought, 
can I find left wingers or basically white right wingers? Um, right wingers are surprisingly easy. Left wingers, are, there is genuinely one, and it is the obvious one. Mm. So, literally, I think I will leave. Unless you want to say it now, and I then I'll give you a chance to. Uh, I'll give you a chance to change it next time. So, goalies. Yeah. Go- goalies, I have my one bias pick, which was Henrik Lindqvist. Right. Arguably the greatest goalie to never win a Stanley Cup of the 20th, 21st century. Mm-hmm. Like, what more can you say? The man was a wall for most of his career. Sadly dropped off now, but then he is 37, I yep. um, The other one I picked was Corey Crawford. One to make you happy. Again last few years hasn't been the greatest but I do find it very difficult to argue for, against a goalie that backs up the team to three Stanley Cup finals hmm. and like there are a fair few other names that you can pick <clears throat> for it and make a case for yeah D-Men it basically goes down to personal preference I went with Victor Hedman because yeah. no player has a higher plus minus for D-Men this decade I believe it's around 219, I want to say it was, when I last looked. I could be wrong by now. Similar to Corey Crawford, I went with Duncan Keith. Yeah. Again, he hasn't dropped off as much as Crawford has. There's been a little drop-off the last couple of years. He's he's bobbed around a bit. Over a decade, it's very difficult to argue against Duncan Keith. Much like This is the one I think I'm going to get caught out on, and I'm going to get told to shut up. Uh, I went with Zdeno O'Chara. No, I'll, I think he's been he's been solid. Again, I'm, I've got that thing of cup winners, and he he's uh, falling off a cliff. But any man that can still play at was he forty mm. now now, and still play to a mm. high enough standard to be playing serious time for the Bruins, and he and instead he of. Needs to, Instead of drinking water on the bench, he has a Coca-Cola. Like, or brands are available. It's more of a respect thing, and I think there are some players like Chara that probably aren't given as much respect and diligence <clears throat> as they should be. Mm. And the last demon I picked was um, was Jake Muzzin. <laughs> because, again, I felt like I had to pick a King's D-man. Mm. Muzzin was the only... It was either yeah. Muzzin or Doughty, and... <clears throat> I'm really not a Drew Doughty fan, so this is, is? me being a little biased. I, I know Muzzin. Kings fans that aren't Doughty fans, so... Part of it's the contract they signed him to. Muzzin, I know they shipped him off to Toronto, where he's been injured for the most part of hmm. the season. And just, yeah. Forwards, if you had my top... If you could get a top line hmm. out hmm. of this, you'd be laughing your way to several Stanley Cups. Uh, I went with, regrettably, because, again, I don't like him, but you have to respect him, Sidney Crosby. Mm. Because it's Crosby. Yeah. (laughs) Similar to the, well, it's just him, Alex Ovechkin. You can't argue against 400 goals in 10 years. Just just argue over who takes the face off. Yeah, but 400 goals in 10 years is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's Ovi. Mm. Uh, right wingers, uh, I went with Patrick Kane. Yeah. Again, it's the three cups. He's played at consistently <clears throat> high level for that decade. Mm. Like there hasn't 
really the only times it's really dropped off was when he's had injury problems. Mm. Like he, last year, just, he didn't have the, the the best of year, but he was yes, he was struggling as well in general. Yeah, but it seems to be a case of if he struggles, the team struggles. Yes, it's, same as Taves as well, but it mostly seems to be if Kane has a. A bad night. The Hawks have a bad night. The Hawks have a bad night. <clears throat> and then the second second line centre. I've put Patrice Bergeron because mm. face off dude. man. Face off man. He's not Brad Marchand. It's basically another no. bonus point for that. Wow. Because no one can be Brad Marchand. We we can do a, a whole episode on NHL and just hockey rats in general. <laughs> Marchand and Rafi Torres are pretty high on my list for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right winger again. Uh, I went with Nikita Kucherov. Mm. That one's more of a recency bias thing. Yeah. But what was the points last year? Was it 140 or something like that? It was something ridiculous. Mm. He's banged in consistent 100 point seasons now. Um, yeah. Again, it's going down. My, it's going down. I'm coming off crosses really biased about players I hate being really weird. Connor McDavid just no. <laughs> Just know, and as you quickly realise, when you do this, you will quickly realise left wingers are a black hole. So I had to put a square peg into a round hole, and I went with Stephen Stamkos because I mm. love Stephen Stamkos, and I would want him to be a ranger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. The thing I'd say instead of Kucherov, I'm thinking Tarasenko. Tarasenko is one of them. <laughs> it's one of those ones with Vladimir Tarasenko. Because, because he actually has a, a Stanley Cup as well now. He does have a Stanley Cup. And if the world had been slightly more different, he would have been an Ottawa senator. Mm. And then Eric Lindros could have been a Quebec Nordique. Mm. Such is life. The Ottawa senators, that could be an entire episode in itself as well. Oh. <clears throat> Fact, factory of sadness. I, I could, I could just do with asking my friend that's an Ottawa fan. <clears throat> just say, it. give me a, <laughs> give me a two sentence on the Ottawa Senators. Or I could just get him on to do this. Just you sit in the corner for an hour. We want to make you cry. Oh, literally, he could just burst into tears, and that'd just be it. I found this week when I was talking to a friend, you could literally do a line from about two thousand and ten just through this last decade, of all the ridiculous trades, ridiculous signings they've made, and it would make you cry. It really would. Well, the way the the Blackhawks have gone the last few years, I think they'll be pushing that thing possibly in the next five, ten years as well. It won't be that. Oh no no no! Won't be as bad. No 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 one can be as bad as Ottawa. No one can be as bad as Ottawa. Never go full Ottawa. No. Well. No, no, there really isn't. I was trying to think of another team, but every team's just kind of ebbed and flowing in Ottawa. There's a difference between knowing you're bad and fixing it, like the Red Wings. Yeah. And there's knowing you're bad and then just being. Yeah, I'm okay with bad, yeah. like the Senators. And then it's a case of, will the Senators still be in Ottawa in five years' time? Or mm-hmm. yeah. will will they move? 
because there was talk of him getting a new rink a, a few years ago, and then, then shortly after it was like they may move from the city. God, I love Eugene Melnick. <laughs> that, that's another one. If you wanted another thing, and I'll give that one away free, if, if we ever did do a podcast just on the Ottawa Senators. Eugene Melnick wanted to move the Ottawa Senators out of the city because they wouldn't build him a new arena yep. six months after the city of Ottawa arranged for him to receive a new liver. <laughs> God bless North America. <laughs> he doesn't even live in Ottawa, he lives in Barbados. <laughs> If, it, if they say to him, warm weather, stay there. If you want to go to the cold, go to Ottawa. But even even the players don't want to go to Ottawa. Not anymore. <clears throat> the only reason you go to Ottawa is to see Parliament, and that's it. There is no other reason. But, yeah, I think we will uh, call it a night. Seeing as we've been talking for an hour, so which isn't bad for us, considering we used to do three-hour shows. We'll get there. We'll just break them into lots more shows this time. True. Um. Yeah. So we've kind of got almost next week for um, decades. So I will try and do some research if I remember, and I'm not. You were playing too much NHL 20, which I probably will be. Um, but yes, that's the. We'll bring it to a close. So I'll uh, thank you for coming on this week. No worries. Hopefully, we'll have a third guest on in Mark if he decides he can come on. And. Uh, Family allows it. So, from that point, uh, thank you for listening. And if you like it, give the show a like, give it a good rating, because I'm all about the brownie points. Uh, unless you're from Ottawa, and then I apologise for everything, please give us a rating. Or not. Because um, we will be exposing yeah. your team at some point. We've got nothing to do at the moment. And if you're Philadelphia, no. Um, yes, I've kind of dragged. I've been dragged into your 2010 syndrome now. Join the dark side, Pete. We have cookies. <laughs> <laughs> what type? Chocolate. <laughs> A lot of thinking went into that. Then I could, I could really see the. The hamster turning in that brain. <laughs> I've very nearly said internet once, but they're not good. <laughs> but yes, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.